Hello and welcome to the Manager Mojo Show. Steve Caldwell here and we're so glad that you're here. We use our mojo to really become greater leaders. Now, let's get started by listening to something good. If you really want to improve as a leader, I've got a great deal for you. Simply go to mojouniversity.com and sign up for our two-week trial. Take any of my courses. I promise you, you're going to get better. You're going to learn. Go to mojouniversity.com and sign up totally for free and try us out for two weeks. Welcome everyone to the Manager Mojo Show. Steve Caldwell here, and I'm thrilled to introduce my special guest today, Sharon Saylor. Now, Sharon is the author of What Your Body Says and How to Master the Message, as well as being a communications and body language expert who is affectionately dubbed the difficult people whisperer by her clients. We all can use that. I, I think that's a great compliment. Uh, she's an internationally known consultant and trainer, uh, best-selling author and CEO of the strategic communications firm, Competitive Edge Communication. Uh, Sharon has appeared in many prominent media outlets such as Forbes, Investors Business Daily, Wall Street Journal, and Reader's Digest, to name a few, and is listed in the top 20 internationally for body language expert, according to globalgurus.org. Sharon, welcome to the Manager Mojo Show. Glad to have you with us today. Oh, thank you so much for inviting me. Just such an honor to be with you. Well, it's uh, we're going to have some fun. I, I can't wait to talk about this topic today. It's one of my favorites uh, of all time. And uh, But before we do, uh, I'd like, uh, uh, if you don't mind, share with our listeners what fun thing that you've been up to lately outside of work. Oh, wow. I just got back from several days at the, our local beach with my grandkids, which was just completely awesome and refreshing. What a way to get a whole new perspective on life, spend time with young people. Oh, that's awesome. There's, it's always fun. Uh, they, they have so much joy and zest to life, don't they? Absolutely, and unconditional love for everything. <laughs> every little shell, every little wave attracts complete awe. Oh, uh, that's just wonderful. Well, Sharon, I'm glad you got to experience that. And thank you for uh, sharing your gifts today. And we look forward to learning more uh, about you and your book and your thoughts. Uh, we're going to talk today uh, about how to actually deliver bad news in, in, in a good way and how to have courage under fire. Uh, but before we do that, I want to kind of set the stage a little bit. Uh, because uh, I, I want to quote uh, a paragraph in your book, uh, how, uh, What Your Body Says and How to Master the Message. Uh, listeners, I'm telling you, you got to have a copy of this. Uh, I have uh, 
understood the the really the wisdom of understanding body language for many years now and unfortunately people don't really uh, study it much anymore but uh, in your book you say this no one is born a great communicator and no conclusive brain science exists to explain the difference between great and average communicators except for learned behaviors often referred to as charisma Great communicators use nonverbals intentionally because they know it makes a difference in how others see them. Instead of spending their time learning to read another person's body language, great communicators work on how their body language is likely to be perceived. One of my favorite paragraphs in the whole book, Sharon, I, I'm just curious if you don't mind, share a little bit about your background in what got you interested in communications and body language in the first place. It's such a fascinating topic. It absolutely is. And I am very introverted and shy in real life, which is a strange thing now that I speak to hundreds and thousands of people around the world. But when you become passionate about something, it becomes contagious and infectious. And it's, when it changes your life as dramatically as when I first learned about it, I just, can't contain myself anymore about the power of understanding body language and not reading other people. I'm glad you chose that paragraph because I'm absolutely passionate about the understanding of what effect are you having on the response you're getting? Perhaps you could be going, this person's difficult, but in retrospect, you're like, well, gosh, I didn't enter that the best either. And maybe I precipitated that response. Too many times people just go, oh, you know, <laughs> that person's difficult. But I digress here into my passion. How I learned about it was, oh, about three decades ago now, I owned a graphic design and marketing company and was going through a tough time in my life. And my friends know if that happens to Sharon, teach her something. So they took me to a wonderful weekend about communications. And the first guest speaker was a body language expert. I was mesmerized, that's all I can say. And during the break, he came up to me and he whispered in my ear, let's go for a walk. And I'm sort of thinking, did my friends put the, <laughs> put, you know, put the bucket in someone's ear? Did they put them up to this? And he proceeded to tell me all about me like a psychic reading. It was very um, mesmerizing still, but also sort of like, mm, that's, I didn't know I was giving all that away. Mm-hmm. And as I sat down after the walk, he whispered in my ear, and if you'd think with your mouth closed, you'd look as intelligent as you are. And I did not know the entire first half, because I was mesmerized, I had my mouth agape, my chin on the floor kind of look, staring straight ahead, you know, deer in the headlight look. And if you can just imagine looking in the mirror with your eyes wide open and your mouth just completely dropped, your chin completely dropped. It's not a very intelligent look. So he was spot on. And that was my, I was hooked. I had to learn everything he knew. And that was a start of a very long, wonderful, started as a mentorship. Then I started editing his books, co-wrote a couple books. And as every good mentor should do, about a decade into this relationship, he gently pushed me out of the nest. And I think that was a critical point because I would have stayed happy just learning, learning, learning. Yet he knew 
that this was a time, as every great mentor should know, when someone is ready to fly and help them fly. What a great story and uh, certainly a great lesson for, uh, for him to share with you. Uh, and of course, you've shared it with many others since then. And it, it's just wonderful at, at, at how you have uh, taken this passion. I, I, I can't help but smile when I hear you talk about uh, having your mouth open and realizing, you know, what's going on. And I'm thinking about all of the people that are listening today that are managers and leaders in their organizations. And I, 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 I think all of us, when we uh, are honest with ourselves and we think back about how we handle difficult people, I'll bet you we had our mouths open and we were reacting to what they were doing instead of planning what we should be doing. And it is, uh, it's so important to understand how we are communicating, uh, not just verbally, but non-verbally. And so many people today, uh, frankly, are just terrible at it. Uh, they don't even think about it. I don't know uh, if you've done any research into it, but uh, do you believe that the obsession with our smart devices today has caused us to really be almost uh, blind to what we do with our bodies. Oh, that and so many other things, absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, we could go into all sorts of research about uh, the younger generation always winning trophies and sort of thinking there's an entitlement uh, about being seen a certain way or getting a certain position before anyone else types of things, as well as our love and addiction to our smart devices. And just a side note on smart devices, if the conversation isn't going well, your smart device is not going to help. I've often seen people say (laughs) this wonderful line. Yeah, I've seen this wonderful line where people say, well, you know, I wanted to take notes, so I picked up my phone to take notes, and I got even angrier. I'm like, yeah, because they thought you were checking social media. So, you know, it's like oh my we have this unseen reaction to, to, to smart devices. Well, it, it is, that is so true. And uh, I, I have taught uh, many, many uh, salespeople in my career uh, a, a ton. Uh, I don't even know how many at this point. Uh, but one of the things that I always find interesting is that salespeople uh, want to go into uh, what should be an, uh, an interaction with a prospect, and they wind up going in with their, their smart devices, their computers, their notepads, and they aren't, they're taking notes, but they aren't listening. They aren't watching. And so they miss all kinds of body language because nobody's ever told them how important it is to, con- uh, to connect with people. So, Sharon, in your experience, why is it so important for us to understand how to present ourselves uh, in our body language properly? What are we gaining by that? Oh, we're gaining trust. Absolutely. Everyone walks around with this little internal radar signal just circling around in their head, and it's asking two questions. The first question is, am I safe? And most often the answer is yes, even if we're going into maybe a job interview or a networking situation, a big meeting with the board. That one's pretty much usually yes, or yes, close enough. (laughs) Maybe we're feeling a fleeing sense. But the next question is, do I matter? 
Now, if mm. that one isn't answered by the people in the room, all things can go wrong. All types of things go wrong. And so when I walk into a room, the first things I want to do is make sure that everyone feels safe around me and be in a frame of mind that every person in there matters to me. An intention, setting an intention beforehand goes back to your comment about planning. And I think people say, oh, I'm planning in the moment. I'm planning what I'm going to respond to them. And that's too late. So setting the intention beforehand that you walk in and I'm going to make sure that everyone feels safe around me and that every person there knows they matter. Big, big, important thing, isn't it? It is. It is. It changes the entire dynamics. That's part of charisma. Even when you meet people in a very fleeting event, maybe there's some famous person and you go, wow, they have charisma. And you've had a chance maybe just to shake hands with them. But there was that moment of connection, of intention, where you thought, wow, they really saw me just for that moment. It's so important. And I mean, in all aspects of our life, no matter whether it's work or personal relationships, uh, for us to understand it. So based upon uh, your research and your understanding, what are some of the most common mistakes that we make just so that people can uh, start to put some context around this? Oh, great question. I'm sorry. Everybody's going to probably just go, oh, that's a boring answer, but I want to highlight <laughs> it's a critical answer. <laughs> awesome. That is maintain low, comfortable, steady breathing. When we are breathing like we're safe and we know we matter, maybe we're meeting with friends, so we're breathing low and comfortable. We've got the butterflies flying in formation. They're not scattered about. We are not in fight or flight. At that moment, only when you're breathing high and rapid are you in fight or flight. And the critical thing to remember about fight or flight is it's highly contagious. So let's say, just say the butterflies are flying slightly out of formation. Then certain people, it's slightly contagious. Certain people are going to pick up on it and go, hmm, I don't know. There's something about them. And that's because it, you are making them nervous. So if you walk into the room here again, setting an intention, I'm going to breathe low and slow throughout this entire event, even though maybe it's high stakes, I'm just going to keep telling myself, keep breathing. You'll be fine. Everyone around you will go, wow, they're very confident because confident people are not in fight or flight. They're low and slow breathing. Mm -hmm. And it's a simple thing to do because let's say all of a sudden somebody says something, gives you a weird look, an eye roll, whatever it is, and you begin to momentarily go into fight or flight. Like, what was that about? It's so easy to reset. Just go, mm, nope, Sharon, stop. Take a deep breath, reset, start again. It's so hard for people to do. I, I know uh, breathing slow, uh, I, I can't help but think, you know, we, we in leadership oftentimes put off tough discussions that we need to have with people, whether it's correcting a behavior that's no longer uh, going to be tolerated or performance issues that you're not performing properly. Uh, how do we take this breathing low and, and slow and steady? How do we take that into uh, those types of meetings? And, you know, how should we approach it mentally when we do these things? Because I, I think people really are, are in that fight or flight mode all the time when they have these conversations. 
Well, I'd like to think that we aren't, but even beyond that, I think people are walking around stuck in fight or flight, regardless of whether they're dreading that conversation or not. I meet so many leaders that are overwhelmed and just are stuck in fight or flight. So even when they're trying their best, they can start to sound rushed. They can start to sound critical just because of the tone of voice, because they don't have enough air behind the voice to sound confident and project well. I like to start with a metaphor. And one that I like to start with is about if you've ever trained a puppy. And let's say the puppy just messes on your carpet the first time. Okay, that makes you upset and you clean it up and all of that. But if you don't stop the puppy that time, it's going to keep messing on your carpet. Now, that's what happens when people mess up at work. Maybe you're like, gosh, they should have known better. I'll let it slide. Well, maybe they don't know better. Or maybe, goodness sakes, the worst case, maybe it's passive aggressive or Mm -hmm. plain old aggressive doing it on purpose. If you don't stop it early, it's going to get out of hand. It's not going to just be affecting production or quality. It starts to become contagious and affect the people around that person, including you. And so it's much easier to correct someone the first time and say something polite, like mention what went wrong. Like um, the report was due on Tuesday. Were there certain reasons why we didn't get the report on Tuesday. And that you speaking in third person, it wasn't your report, it was the report. So there's easy linguistic things we can do that still come across that we were expecting something and it didn't happen. But if we let the report slide every Tuesday for two months, goodness sakes, we're angry, we're breathing high and we're dreading this and all sorts of things are going on. People around them are upset it becomes a much more critical and difficult conversation to attend to. So first thing is attend to it quickly because it's small mess is easier to clean up than a big mess. But if we have to attend to it when it's a big mess or we inherit a big mess, which a lot of people do these days, go visual. Have either your own report of the items that were missed, the items that needed correction, the steps that should be taken. And it's much easier to direct eye contact to that visual piece of paper, please, not on technology, print it out, old-fashioned way, print it out, piece of paper. Hand them the piece of paper, and then you make eye contact to the paper, and they may try to make eye contact with you, but this is where conflict can arise when you make eye contact with them. It's always about relationships. So try and make eye contact with the paper and stay looking at the paper as you go over the note. And they may stare in your ear. It's fine. It's uncomfortable, but it's fine. Pretty soon they'll look at the paper if you keep talking about what's on the paper. And then the conversation eases because it's no longer about relationship. It's about this naughty piece of paper here with all of these things. Mm. So then we've discussed what needs to change. The naughty piece of paper, we've maybe made some agreements and things like that. We take notes on that piece of paper. And then we can come back and make eye contact with the person and have a nice little closing. And that closing is about the relationship when we make eye contact with the person. So the first thing is talk about the change in third person on the piece of paper, not making eye contact. And then in closing, transfer to the relationship 
with the eye contact and how you can help support the change that they have just agreed to. Very cool. Uh, I, I love the thought of it. I, I can also envision uh, the way, how should we be sitting when we're having this conversation? The easiest is at 90 degrees because it makes perfect sense not across the desk. It's kind of awkward because, you know, you've got two eyes staring back at you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or if you're standing in the hallway, it's kind of awkward because you've got two eyes staring back at you. So if you can stand or sit at 90 degrees, like one person on a corner of the table, the other person on the other side of the table, you know, so the 90 degree point, if that's not possible, which sometimes it's not, let's go for a walk. And that way you're standing side by side. So you have what I like to call plausible deniability, why it's really hard to make eye contact because you guys are walking straight ahead and of course you don't want to trip. So you keep looking straight ahead or at this piece of paper. I, I wonder sometimes if uh, we real, we don't realize because of the way we set ourselves up in these situations, we actually increase the likelihood of conflict. Is, is that a fair statement? A very fair statement. Everything from our body posture to eye contact. The interesting thing, we've been talking about eye contact um, some here, but There are some gender research behind it, and two men who make constant eye contact. There's a difference between consistent eye contact and constant eye contact. Constant eye eye contact is that stare down. Mm -hmm. And what happens, it elevates men's fight or flight. It's an ancient reaction, like somebody, you know, they're they're challenging me by by staring at me. They're challenging me. And it can actually create anger. And so it's always good to have a reason to look away, like a piece of paper. Mm-hmm. If you don't have a piece of paper, I like to do what I call sort of a little fake out. And I use some of the words like, hmm, that's interesting. And I might look up as if I'm scanning my memory. That reminds me of, or I could say, that's curious. I hadn't thought about it that way. As you're looking down, maybe at the ground in deep thought. That's a real easy way to break just a momentary, a second or two of eye contact to let everybody, um, fight or flight, just relax. Now, when a man and a woman are talking, it's not quite as intense, but that intense contact can begin to feel strangely intimate. And that's not a comfortable place to be either. So it's always good to use that same I wonder, I curious reason to look up or down to break eye contact. Now, when two women, they typically can have pretty intense eye contact because, you know, they're just sharing, sharing, sharing. So it's not as intense when it's two women. But sometimes if it's a critical enough topic, there again, you'll want to break the eye contact just for a moment. I would say especially if it's a corrective action that you're working on. Yes, corrective action should always be done towards the correction that's needed or the piece of paper that has the corrections written on it. You can even point into the future. So here, let's say we were caught in that moment, we have to correct without that piece of paper, and we stand side by side, and you mention the corrective action as you're pointing into the future. So you would be looking forward, and they're standing next to you. Remember I said if you're standing, stand next to each other, if you can't be at 90 degrees. And it makes perfect sense for you to point into the future as you're talking. 
And from now on, and you point in front of you towards the future. It's a great way to save the conversation. And then once that corrective action in the future has been pointed at, and we've all agreed that that's what the future is going to look like from now on, we turn to each other, make eye contact, and make a comment, something like, and we are here to help you, or what resources do you need to create this future and that's all about relationship is where you come back and reconnect and make the eye contact again and that solidifies the relationship like yes i just took corrective action it wasn't comfortable but i'm still in relationship with you i love that i I think that's really tremendous advice and uh, Sharon, I know uh, uh, our listeners uh, really should go get their own copy of What Your Body Says. One of the things that I wanted to point out to our listeners is that you included in this book many examples, drawings of how you should stand, how you should hold your hands, and, and talked about the different situations. Uh, in doing this, I wondered for myself, uh, how important is it for us to practice those, uh, those positions and maybe look at ourselves in a mirror to really see how we're communicating? Is that a helpful thing for us to do? Oh, anytime we can practice any sort of communication, absolutely. Fantastic idea. And let's add a little refinement to that. Mirror is a great place to start. And two other things to consider is if your friends or someone, maybe at work even, maybe a coworker, and you keep hearing, why are you always so judgmental? Why are you always so angry? Are you angry today, Sharon? Those kinds of comments, your body language is sending that message. Even if you're, think, you're just deep in thought, you know, you send comments about what is your thinking face doing? It could be making a very strange face. Had a client one time who came to me and said, everybody thinks I'm so judgmental. I'm about to be fired. My boss just thinks I hate everything, but I don't know what I'm doing wrong. We talked a little bit, and this woman had a high commitment to systems and process. Everything in her mind had to be in a list, in an order. It was very important for her to follow patterns, follow the list. And when I asked her specific questions that would relate her to going inside to make a list, she did this real scrunchy face thing where the eyebrows pointed in towards the center of the eyes and the lips pursed and the eyes got very narrow. So a scrunchy face. Mm-hmm. And you can just imagine that looks pretty judgmental to the other person who just sure. asked you to do something. <laughs> Without question. <laughs> the other person's like, oh, my goodness, I didn't mean to, you know, what's going on? I didn't mean to insult you. But took a quick cell phone picture, showed her the face, and I said, what would you think this face was doing? And notice I didn't say her face, because this I want to keep safe. If I said, what would you think if you saw your face doing this? That is not a safety question. A safety question is when you show the picture, if you saw this face, what would you think? And she thought, oh my gosh, am I making that face? And I said, yes, because you're so highly committed to doing exactly the right thing for your boss. And I, the workaround was, as she learned, once you know you're making the face, you can catch yourself and correct it, but that takes a while to learn. Carry so a true. notepad. Yeah, carry a notepad and a pencil when your boss asks you that question, you just start making a list in front of them. 
they know you're committed to the process and you're not making a scrunchy face. However, as all good friends and coworkers know, I sent her the picture. She showed it to her boss, told her the, <laughs> what the process was. Look, I'm highly committed to systems and process. They had a good laugh. And now they ignore the face. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Sharon, uh, that's a great example and really helps us all understand maybe we ought to pay attention to this. Now, I know our listeners are going to want to know more about the great work you do. Why don't you share how they can best connect with you? Well, thank you. The easiest way is over at the website, which is SharonSailor.com, S-H-A-R-O-N-S-A-Y-L-E. ER.com. And if I may, I have a wonderful little body language gift that people would enjoy called the five little known things that affect how others see you. And that's over at SharonSailor.com body language gift. Just run it together like it's all one long word. I love it. And uh, thank you so much for doing that, Sharon. And uh, listeners, for those of you that are exercising right now, as always, we'll make sure that we put links directly to those uh, two websites that Sharon has given us. And I encourage you to take advantage of her generous offer. Uh, Sharon at Manager Mojo, we like to end all of our discussions with a couple of action items from, from you in terms of what should we do to really begin to make ourselves aware of the importance of body language. What would be your top two action items that you recommend that we take today? Choose the one item you heard today that you think would give you the profoundest, fastest change. Put it on a post-it note and put it on your mirror in the morning, on your steering wheel, on the refrigerator. Have these little post-it notes to remind you every day to practice that for five days. That would be my first one. And the second one is as you go about your day, just make mental notes, no judgment. Just when you see a body language movement, instead of judging it, just go, isn't that interesting? It puts us in a whole different frame of mind. Instead of judging someone, we just go, isn't that interesting? And it allows us to keep an open mind about other people's body language. Those are two fabulous action items, Sharon. Thank you for sharing them. Uh, my guest today has been Sharon Saylor. Uh, she is the, quote, difficult people whisperer. Uh, she's also the author of What Your Body Says and How to Master the Message. Get your own copy so that you can really learn how important it is in this day and age to really understand how you're communicating, even when you don't know it. Uh, Sharon, thank you again for your time today and your wisdom. And we at Manager Mojo wish you continued success. Thank you for helping all of us today. Well, thank you, Steve. And thank you for your beautiful show. I so enjoy Manager Mojo. I, always giving me great insights. Oh, thank you so much, Sharon.